card-carrying basing at this point. Ben Alomar, Director of Sports Analytics at ESPN. Uh, just next to Big Poppy, be like, he's just one of us, man. <laughs> That's kind of a big deal and shows you a lot about the randomness in a sport. Rick Peterson, the Director of Pitching Development for the Baltimore Orioles. This is Warden Moneyball's post-game podcast. Welcome to Wharton Moneyball post-game podcast. This is the third edition of your crash course in the major themes of our two-hour program, Wharton Moneyball, which you can hear live on Wednesday mornings at 8 a.m. Eastern Time. I'm Professor Adi Weiner. I'm the co-host and collaborator and co-creator of our program, Wharton Moneyball. I'm also a professor of statistics at the Wharton School, and I'm here to break down this week's top takeaways. Our guest this week was Caroline Miller, author of Getting Grit, the Evidence-Based Approach to Cultivating Passion, Perseverance, and Purpose. Here's a clip of her discussing kindergarten redshirting. So when you're a Lance Armstrong, when you're an A-Rod, when you're a Bill Belichick, um, and you have to take shortcuts. Yep. Um, and I think it's become too common. I call the millennials the shortcut generation because it used to be uncommon to be redshirted for kindergarten. And now one in six kids Absolutely, are yes. redshirted. And the one in six ones are the ones who have the most potential. It's amazing. I've seen this with my kids. It, no, it, it, it's in kindergarten, me, yes, yes. You know that the, the benefits of actually being redshirted, so having that easy dominance in kindergarten and first grade, you're the biggest mm. kid, you're the most socially mature kid. It's so fascinating what happens when you're redshirted. So this easy win that you get, um, actually all of those benefits evaporate by eighth grade when the other kids catch up. But the, but the damage that's been done by being redshirted is these kids skip learning fundamentals. And so they never learned kind of the basics of dribbling a soccer ball or, you know, how to run a route in football or how to even, you know, do the right technique in the swimming pool. So uh, actually swimming is a little different because it's all time and it's all by age. But the red shirting in general that's so common now has created this whole idea that you can take shortcuts. And I think you do see it at these upper levels where people will do anything to win. So there's a great example of a triathlete in Canada who's been caught recently for, you know, hiding in bathrooms during the running loops. And she comes out and she wins these, you know, big, big um, races. And they've found on the footage that she's hiding in bathrooms and and cheating. So it's way too common. I call that faux grit. Bill Belichick does do one thing very well, and he's in my book for this, and that is Everyone who's ever gotten a compliment from him can remember the day and the hour of the compliment. So when he praises you, it means something. That's a unbelievably kind of profound comment that there's a big difference between determination, positive determination, I guess, which he's calling grit, and sort of faux grit, which is do whatever you can to make it kind of work without the corresponding effort. For our listeners, redshirting, you may not know this if you don't have children, but redshirting in kindergarten means essentially holding your child back and having them start kindergarten approximately a year late, maybe a half a year late, so that the, your your son or daughter is the oldest child in the class. And what that does is it creates a milieu for that child, which is very different. They're much bigger, they're, they're faster, they're stronger, and they tend to do and succeed well in athletics. One of the comments she's making, I guess, is in the long run, that really undermines your athletic potential because you don't develop the skills. And then she kind of segues into the shortcuts that triathlons take. And she began, of course, with with, uh, drug cheats. And and that outlines the concept of um, trying to get whatever you can. And then she concludes with Bill Belichick's comment, which I think is rather um, fascinating and a real interesting take on how Bill Belichick allows himself to produce champions year after year. 
In our next clip, she's going to talk about the benefit of having role models and how that can really bring out the grit in the players. What can one do to kind of improve the environment, whether you're a coach, a parent, a teacher? What can one do in this case? Okay, couple, a couple things. One is you want to have gritty role models embedded. And you discussed this on your show not long ago, I think, was why would anybody sign Tim Tebow? Oh, so thank you for bringing this sign- up. I was going to ask you about it. Terrific. Yeah. I mean, because what does he do? He has that amazing work ethic. Everything he does is up to excellent standards. So wouldn't you want, you know, people coming from a generation where good enough was good enough? Um, You want to have role models. I have a great story in my book about a a football team in Tennessee, a high school football team, and the coach observed that the minute an Iraq War veteran who's had his legs and arms mangled started cutting the grass, um, at the high school field, he, he observed that the, uh, the kids on the team stopped being whiners and they started working harder because of the silent kind of role modeling of this Iraq War veteran who never complained. So you want to embed gritty role models. One of the things about psychology in contrast to the analytics that we're accustomed to talking about is that it's very hard to pin down truths in psychology. But if there is one truth, it is that you learn a lot from the environment that you work in and that you live in by copying. The Tim Tebow exercise, if you will, the, the concept of Tim Tebow trying to leave his uh, his former career as an NFL player and become a baseball player has actually generated quite a bit of controversy. Our fellow analysts at 538 have decided that that's possibly the stupidest move ever. I think Neil Payne was extremely concrete on that point. But we've heard from now two people, Rick Peterson and now Caroline Miller, who's essentially telling us that actually bringing Tim Tebow to the team is a terrific idea, even though he has no chance to play. He's a, he's a role model. He's a, someone who has all the right attributes for success. He probably won't succeed in baseball because it's too late and he doesn't particularly have the skills. But he will show the young players who are trying, who have really good prospects, what it means to be the best. What it means to be the best eater, what it means to be the best rester, the best trainer, the best worker in all those endeavors. And that's really important. In our next clip, we're going to be talking about Big Pappy and some of the anomalies that arise when you think about Big Pappy's career. Just from a historical perspective, age 40, given the career he's had, we have to give our props to Big Poppy oh, this oh, year. I mean, this is just an incredible I year. Wanna, I want to. I want to agree. I mean, it's in a capstone on an incredible career. I mean, no. like, I think. I think he's taken right. what. I, what mo- I, th- I think before this season, it would have perhaps been arguable whether or not he belongs to the Hall of Fame. Mm. I don't think it actually was, but like people would have argued. Right, let's, with let's me. Let's discuss Nobody's this. Gonna argue I, with I do want to discuss this right? because. Yeah. No, people are going to argue with you. Um, uh, I'm not going to argue with you. Well, but there I, are people who what, will argue. Which, with you. What, which side do you want to take? Because I'll take either. All right. So I will. I'm going to take the argument that he belongs in the Hall of Fame. Okay, I'll take no, even so though I believe he the does. No, the, Go no ahead. Ar- the no argument has to do with the fact that he simply has a zero on defense, and the defense is an enormous part of the game. And I want to focus the conversation on a statistic that I saw that is a statistic that's dear at least to, to Shane, which is the war figure. I'm looking at the, the pages, and by yeah. offensive numbers, Big Pappy has the only person in the American League who looks even close offensively is Trout. Um, he just rules. I mean, OPS. We know uh, Trout's your guy. Well, I mean, no. Statistically, but, but, okay, he's statistically, your guy. But here's the number that, that was shocking to me. Trout is forecasted by the end of the season, he'll clear 10 wins over, above replacement pretty handily. Pappy won't make five. Yeah. So here's the story that I think is is interesting to unpack, and what is the what is the what is the way to resolve what I think is a, is is the problem? Would you really, if you took a, a blank slate of replacement level teams, would you genuinely want two? Is two big pappies the equivalent of one trout? Well, 
there's the rub. You heard from Eric, you heard from Shane, and then you heard from me describing, I think, the conundrum, which is how do you evaluate a player like Big Pappy who doesn't play defense? So David Ortiz has had one of the most amazing offensive seasons, certainly the best offensive season by a baseball player in their final career. But what's interesting, the stat heads, and that really is our group, has decided that He's just really not that good because he doesn't play defense. He, he's, a, he's a DH. And as a result, the, the position players, in particular Mike Trout, are much, much more valuable. What I was contrasting was the idea that he's twice as valuable. And that just seems to me like an unsupportable number. In our final clip, we have Shane, who brings up a really interesting point about Bill Belichick. An interesting kind of natural experiment, or whatever you want to call it, is, is the NFL has changed its rules with regards to, uh, to kickoffs. Right. Uh, they which are they wanted to encourage um, they want less runbacks because players get injured on runbacks. That's you know you think about it. You got a bunch of guys running full speed one direction. The kicker, the guy that caught the punt or kickoff going full speed the other direction, heavy collision. Yeah, plus that's basically a collision at forty miles per hour. Correct, it's absurd. Um, so <laughs> one thing the NFL did was move at, basically change the rules so that a touchback where you don't run it back. Um, because basically, what the, first the NFL moved up the sort of ki- where, where they kick off from, and so now most kickers that are are, are can kick it out of the back can the kick it zone. out of the back of the end zone, uh, which the NFL likes because they don't want runbacks. Um, it's boring. I know. Did they like viewers? <laughs> so what, what 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 they noticed was that like you know the players when they did catch in the end zone were more likely to run it back because that's a more rare opportunity. So what they did is now they changed the touchback rule that where you ch- put it at the twenty five instead of the twenty in order to further incentivize the receiving team not to run it back. What Belichick has this did is brilliant. Listen to this is essentially and and it's partly he has a very good kicker. Um, that extra five yards incentivized him to come up with a strategy where he the kicker actually kicks it as, as, as short high. as possible, as short high, and as high. short as possible, so that they don't even catch in the end zone. So now they have to run it out, and they have to make it to the 25 in order for it to be an equal kind of exchange. <laughs> well, what we were talking about is Bill Belichick and his uncanny ability to exploit loopholes and um, do whatever you can to to win. And, and what Shane has identified and talked about is the is how the, the league made a change in the rules to try to incentivize runbacks. But by doing so, they, they push the kick forward, and they also change the, the yard line by which it comes out of the end zone when you do a touchback. And he figured out a way that, it, that you can actually end up using that rule to your advantage. And that really exemplifies Bill Belichick's strengths. So this concludes our third edition of the Wharton Moneyball Postgame Podcast. I hope you've enjoyed our show, and we'd like to invite you to come and listen next week.